0: This is a Triple J podcast. (laughs) Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. It has to be one of the wildest nights in Australia. Thousands of people running around, fireworks lighting up the sky, pets freaking out. A lot of young people having a good time. Territory Day is iconic. For a few hours every year, Darwin is thrown into chaos. And this year was no different. It's not all fun, though. Like, one guy lost his hand in an injury over the weekend. So what's the future for this kind of celebration? In a bit, you're going to hear what this really unique top-end tradition is like, why people from around the country travel there to see it. Later, you're also going to hear from Australia's NADOC Youth of the Year. First, though...
1: Hack.
2: What we need to talk about is the politics and the policies
3: and not just asking people to calm down.
1: On Triple J...
2: You know, at this
0: time of the year, so many of your mates are probably posting pics of their European summers. They're flooding your social feeds with highlights from the Amalfi Coast or the Greek islands. But for one European country, it's feeling a lot different at the moment. The scenes there are anything but relaxing. For almost a week, there have been intense protests, riots in France. Thousands of people have been arrested. A lot of them are teenagers. These riots started over the death of a young person who was shot dead by police. The Australian government is warning people to be really careful travelling there, warning of the threat of terrorism. So what is going on in France? In a minute, we're going to speak to someone on the ground in Paris, but first, here's Joe Lauder to bring us up to speed.
4: The protesting started last week after the death of a teenager in a Paris suburb. 17-year-old Nahel was a French citizen of Algerian descent and he was shot dead by police last Tuesday during a traffic stop. His killing has tapped into this deep anger about the police and frustration about underlying racism in France and a lack of opportunities in the outskirts of Paris. I feel as if what is happening is being minimized. If this is happening to Nahil, it is because we have let the others pass and that is what we must denounce. Activist Asa Trahore says it's an issue that France needs to address. Since we are in a country that does not recognize racism, we act as if there is none. We pretend that it doesn't exist. So when someone dies, we justify the death of a person by saying that it is his fault the riots have been going on for days with protesters torching cars barricading streets vandalizing shops and police stations and in response over 45,000 cops have been deployed one thing that's been talked about a lot is how young the protesters are the average age of those arrested is 17. Nahel's grandmother has spoken to the media, and she says the protesters are using his death as an excuse.
5: I'm angry with the police officer who killed my grandson, that's all I'm angry with. We have the police, and lucky for us that we have the police, and the people who are breaking things, I tell them stop it, they're doing this with Nahel as a pretext, they should
4: stop, they should not break store windows, they should not ransack schools. French President Emmanuel Macron has been in crisis meetings and cancelled a trip to Germany to deal with the situation. During the riots, protesters also attacked the home of a suburban Paris mayor. They rammed a burning car into his house. The mayor's wife and five- and seven-year-old kids were inside, and the wife was badly injured. It was so bad. The prosecutors are pushing attempted murder charges. Evidently, an act like this is particularly shocking and I said to the mayor I
5: would support him and make sure nothing like this ever happens again. We will formulate as strong a response as possible on behalf of justice, but also listen to the evidence and the circumstance. You're listening to Hack on Triple J.
0: Joe Lauder with that update. well, I want to have a chat with someone who is in Paris right now someone who has been seeing all of this play out. With us is Matthew Dalton, Paris correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. Hi, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us on Hack.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: The scenes from France have been extraordinary, uh, especially over the past few days. How are things looking at the moment? Have these riots started to quieten down a little?
1: Uh, It seems that things are quieting down a bit. There were fewer incidents nationwide over the weekend, although you did have this one particularly troubling uh, incident with the car that rammed um, the mayor's house and and injured his wife. Um, So that kind of grabbed headlines. But apart from that, things do seem to be quieting down a bit, um, thanks in part to a, a, a huge police presence that the government has deployed across the country. 45,000 officers were deployed last night. Um, So that does seem to be calming things down. And also, I think um, with a little time passing, uh, people are running out of steam. And also a lot of people have been arrested. More than 3,000 people have been arrested.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible stuff. It must be such a strange feeling in Paris, especially at a time when generally there are heaps of tourists around. It's
1: very busy. How has it felt in the city? Well, inside the city itself in Paris, uh, there hasn't been much activity. Uh, The government has shut down tram and bus services at night, uh, but the Metro is still running. And it's mainly, um, these riots are mainly unfolding in the suburbs of Paris, what what, uh, the French call les banlieues, which are um, the working class neighborhoods of the Paris region where, uh the minority communities of African and Arab origin tend to live um where a lot of this anger and unrest is playing out that's one of the the sort of big disparities um in France is and in Paris in particular the the centers of the city of Paris um is a wealthy area um it costs a lot to live here generally speaking um the suburbs are where um people of working class um, means tend to live um, where those communities tend to live and where the unrest is playing out. So um, you know in the tourist areas, generally speaking things are calmer than they are at, than they are outside of Paris.
0: Niel, the teenager whose death, you know, sparked these riots, his family has said that, you know, they think this shooting was racially motivated. Have authorities in France said anything about this, about allegations of racism in the police, about racial tensions uh, generally?
1: Well, the French government, generally speaking, denies that there is a significant or broad or really much of any problem of racism in um, the French police and the law enforcement and French law enforcement. Um, th- France doesn't collect um, statistics about race, generally speaking, um, the, it's, it's in most cases, forbidden by French law. Um, this, was, this is a policy that's been around for decades and it aims to, the, the, the goal of it, the point of it was to treat all people Uh, equally, people of all races equally. The French government says it is colorblind. Um, But a lot of critics say that that policy actually leaves the government and the authorities blind to de facto racism that is fairly widespread, particularly in the police. Um, So, you know, the French government is um, steadfast that its police forces are not racist. And probably this, this question of whether there was um, racism behind the the traffic stop and the killing of nahel is not going to come up in the inf- in the official legal investigation into his death unless evidence um, is uncovered that the police officers made overtly racist statements um things like that if that doesn't happen then probably this question of whether there was underlying racism behind the traffic stop won't be addressed and frankly it's it's pretty hard to understand what was going through the police officer's head unless he said things that people observed or witnessed
0: it does seem like Matthew for us outside of France looking in that there are quite a lot of protests that happen within the country uh, and the French government's been dealing with all sorts of protests for different reasons over the past few years uh, it's not just this issue this issue right
1: well I would say the French, do like to protest. Um, They do have a culture of going out in the streets um, and uh, publicly telling the government and the world what they think. Um, You had, for the past few months, these rolling protests in response to the Macron government's plan to raise the retirement age. Um, Before that, you had uh, the yellow vest protests that went over a a period of more than a year, really. Um, that were that were really disruptive and destructive uh so you know this is part of the political culture in france um you know we, th- there's not a parliamentary system in france so if people are unhappy with the government they generally speaking can't get rid of the president um, it's very uh, you know except for every five years when there's an election so um to without the, the means to get the, the vote the president out vote his party out uh protests are a way, are kind of like the release valve for political anger they're a way of expressing uh, what the public thinks um you know the the flip side of that is that um it can be very disruptive um living in france you know every few months it seems like there is uh disruption to public transport uh schools closed because of strikes. Uh, so it's just a part of life in France and the French are used to it. And it's um, it's part of the political culture here. Yeah,
0: it's certainly very interesting. Look, this is a huge story. We'll keep across it. We'll keep checking in. I'm Matthew Dalton, Paris correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. We very much appreciate your insights. Thank you for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, Some of the footage I've seen shows young people laughing as they damaged and looted. It's sheer vandalism and criminal activity, and it's really sad. Look, there are so many uh, opinions coming through on this topic. Uh, time to move on. Hack, never anything like it, it's
1: awesome, but people getting
3: launched fireworks, it's been nuts.
0: On Triple Jack. Have you ever let off a firework? You've probably seen a heap. Mostly we leave it to the professionals though on New Year's Eve or other big celebrations. But there's one part of Australia where everyone is given a free pass to go wild with fireworks. And they do. So wild that people get seriously injured sometimes. I'm talking about Territory Day in the NT. It happened over the weekend. The one night of the year you can buy fireworks, let off as many as you can afford. Hundreds of tons of fireworks, millions of dollars are spent on this. No questions asked. Nowhere else in Australia can you do anything like this. Are you in the NT? Do you love or do you hate crack and iron? Why? Message in oh four three nine seven five seven triple five. I want to hear from you. We sent our Darwin reporter, Miles Holbrook-Walk along, to check out what it's all about.
6: Welcome to Territory Day, or as the locals tend to call it, cracker night. It feels more like a scene out of The Purge where anything and everything can happen.
1: They go
2: to the the sky. Bams! Boom! That's the happening.
6: Very excited, and we're loading up. To let these bad
3: boys off. I like loud noises and I like big explosions.
6: It's too loud for me. So, you probably have a few questions. How is this legal? Why is this legal? And isn't it really dangerous? The way it works is all of Australia used to have a version of Krakenite, but most governments decided decades ago, nope, this is too dangerous. But here in the NT, they've held out, and it's become a massive part of the place's identity. Look, you got the crocodiles up here, and you know, these guys got everything, like, these guys are wild. <laughs> Let's say. Essentially, you can buy as many fireworks as you want. Vinny, who you've just heard from, is a pyrotechnician who gets flown in from Sydney and helps another business sell fireworks. He says there's big bucks for everyone involved. I believe five million easy with the fireworks get sold here on the one day. The gunpowder is in my blood. If you draw. You won't draw blood out of my, my body, you draw gunpowder out of my body. But once you buy them, you only have until 11pm that night to let them off. If you let your fireworks off after 11pm, you're on the hook for fines of more than $1500. There are guides on how to keep people safe, but not everyone follows the rules. Look, you see some people do some crazy stuff and like, you, think you shake your head. It's just that you always get one or two people that
3: try and experiment, let's say.
6: The majority of people don't get injured, but things do go wrong, especially when people shoot fireworks at each other, which I personally saw heaps of over the weekend.
5: One of our fireworks did go a little bit haywire and burn a few of our friends in the lake, but that's okay. We treated them for minor burns and we have come out the other side.
6: There were 18 presentations to the emergency department of the biggest hospital in the Territory this cracker night, Six of them have been attributed to fireworks, including a 23-year-old man who was hospitalized after an incident with a firework. He had his arm amputated below the elbow, but doctors are saying they may be able to reattach the limb. Em has lived in Darwin most of her life. These days she stays clear of the city.
5: Darwin notoriously gets a little bit little bit rowdy on Territory Day.
6: She remembers one year reading about a particularly crazy firework injury.
5: That was some bloke had Thought it was a good idea to set one off from his bum and he had to be airlifted to Royal Adelaide Hospital. And yep, I think that's a good representation of some of the things that can happen on Territory Day.
1: The
6: day isn't universally loved. M is indifferent to it, but Donna is completely off it. No,
7: I don't enjoy it at
6: all. It's noisy,
7: the mess that's left the next day, the ongoing crackers that are released after Territory night and the fact that people's dogs run away because they're scared.
6: The smoke she's on about is everywhere. Across this Krakenite alone, fire crews had to put out almost 100 wildfires just in Darwin. And at the end of the day, Donna reckons the NT needs to get into line with the rest of the country.
7: They can have their shenanigans, but with a firework event that's put on by the government or the council.
6: The government hasn't flagged any changes to cracker night, and for now, that means one night a year you can indulge in this crazy, outlandish, definitely dangerous, but frankly, also super fun tradition. I'm going to attempt now to light my first cracker. (laughs)
0: Hack on Triple J, (laughs) Miles Holbrook walk, Getting a little excited there, setting off some crackers. Don't worry, it's okay. He was uninjured. Reporting for duty this morning. Well done, Miles. Got a lot of messages coming through. Someone says, yeah, just got back from Darwin this morning. Territory Day, true cultural embrace for the top end. The locals love it, all get around it. It works up there. It probably wouldn't work in other places in Australia. That was from Will. A lot of other people saying, we still have a cracker night in Tasmania as well, pointing that out. People on the text line saying that. There are different rules in terms of regulations and stuff. I think the NT is the most liberal in terms of who can set things off. And someone else says, to condone unrestrained use of fireworks, you'd have to be crackers. James, always pulling through with the puns. Thank you, James. Let's move on.
7: Hack. This is a normal thing within your life. This isn't something that someone should be for.
0: On Triple Jack. Being accepted, feeling safe is something a lot of people just take for granted. Having the opportunity to express your true self and to feel respected. Just be you. But finding that safe space can be harder for some than others. And that's something we hear a lot from the LGBTQIA community, especially those who are in regional or rural areas. Now, on the back of Pride Month, our reporters Angel Parsons and Kimberly Price have been looking into the importance and power of finding your place and your allies, especially when you're coming out, when you're younger, maybe still at school. Taking us first to the land of cattle, cane and coal, here's reporter
5: Angel Parsons. Come on, chaps. I'm Adam and I am 16 years
7: old. There's a small town called Serena in central Queensland. About 20 minutes away, there's a huge port for shipping coal overseas and we're surrounded by sugar cane and cattle. I've come here today to meet Adam Lamb. That black and white one is feisty. There's also a peacock behind oh my you. Oh, too. So the sun's going down, the chooks are now fed and I'm speaking with Adam about his experience being trans in this part of the world.
5: When I was 13, I started therapy for depression and anxiety. The person I was seeing wasn't that great. I had originally explained to them that I didn't feel right in my body, and that person had actually told me that I cannot be trans because I was feminine. I went back into the closet for a couple more years, a little after I turned 15 actually, I come out to my parents about me being trans and they were very accepting from the beginning.
7: But away from home, it was really important to Adam that he felt safe and accepted at school. We have a rainbow free dress day. A couple years back, Adam helped his school set up their first Pride event. And this year they have a free dress day and selling handmade Pride badges. Do you get a little bit of negativity from some students who, who aren't on board with these Pride celebrations? There are definitely some people who are quite close-minded and are... Uh, against it, but that's why we do this. We do this to break down that barrier, to try and teach them that this is an okay thing. It's not something to be negative about.
5: My name's Jane Grieger and I'm the principal of Serena State High School. The overwhelming majority of people just want to accept others for who they are. And uh, I think that's that's a key part of building the culture around that.
7: And away from school and home, Adams found a sense of euphoria, passion and safety Lock it in. in the sport of powerlifting. Get, right.
5: get, your, feet, get your feet right, nice cat arch, good. It feels good. There's no other way to word it. That might even sound cheesy, but it just, it feels good to do. With that, it does also increase your mental health with that and that's what it did
1: for
7: me. Start. Adam also has autism and gets some help through the NDIS. Through some connections there, he met Special Olympics Mackay Fire head coach, Kimberly Doyle.
3: And rack. Good work.
5: He was having a real um, struggle, trying to uh, assert his masculinity um, in both a social and community setting and at school. And so powerlifting just was a, a good fit for him because he was guarded for a very long time that he wouldn't let anyone into his world. But the opportunities are there to be with people that welcome you. In general, lately, my euphoria has been a lot better than it used to be when I was less open about it, when I wasn't exactly out. Adam wanted to
7: share his story with me to show how good things can be when you find your place or people. Over 2,000 k's away, in a small town just over the Murray River border from Mildura, my workmate, hack reporter Kimberly Price, says there's a similar feeling.
3: The Sunraysia Valley is known for producing the juiciest oranges, wine, and has plenty of sunshine. A lot of kids here live rurally, growing up on blocks where they have rows of vines to harvest.
5: My name is Kai, I am 16, and I live in Barunga.
3: Kai came out as transgender at 12 and uses he, they pronouns.
5: My peers, most of them weren't really supportive and were like, oh, just go on the girl team. You're not a man, you can't do this. Um, others just asked, Offensive questions, being unaware of how offensive they were.
3: But for Kai, the Alphabet Soup group run by Headspace helped them find their place.
5: Every two weeks, just catch up and we do fun activities. But I feel like there could be more.
3: In their country town of around 37,000, Kai says there's a lot of problems with homophobia and transphobia. And the further you go out, the worse it becomes. Many of my friends, they can't come out because
5: If they do, they'll get kicked out of their household, and that's not good for them because they're only 16.
3: Kai wants to change this, and they say having more safe spaces for LGBT plus kids would go a long way. And I feel like having more
5: safe areas in the community, just so kids can feel like they can be themselves, come out of their shell, meet new people who are like them, I think that'd make the community much safest place.
3: Over the years since coming out, Kai has done a lot of work to get where they are today. They credit a lot of that to their relationship with their dad and the mates they made at Alphabet Soup. But Kai knows there's more work to do, particularly in rural areas. People are like, oh, it's just a phase.
5: It's not a phase. It's part of who you are. It's your identity. It's what makes you you.
0: Hack on Triple J. Kimberly Price and Angel Parsons with that story. And you'll be able to see more on Hack's Instagram this week. We'll have a reel going up, showing a bit more about this story. Really good to get out there, speak to people about their experiences.
4: Hack. She's going to change the way that the world sees sharks.
0: On Triple Jack. Nadoc Week's just kicked off around the country. And we're celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, culture and achievements. This time every year we hear about the amazing people who've received NAIDOC awards. Sportsperson Award went to professional netballer Donnell Wallum. Australia's first Indigenous surgeon, Professor Kelvin Kong, was named NAIDOC Person of the Year. And the NAIDOC Youth of the Year is Courtney Burns, a Gunai Kurnai woman from South Gippsland in Victoria. Courtney's 25, she's studying marine science at James Cook Uni in Townsville and her research is really interesting. She's with us now. Hey, Courtney, welcome to Hack.
2: Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Uh,
0: what does it feel like to be the NADOC Youth of the Year?
2: It is absolutely insane. It's been very overwhelming, but very, very, uh, I guess you could say humbling as well. Uh, it's it's awesome.
0: Yeah, because there's so <laughs> many amazing people that are up for these awards, um, especially in the youth category as well. So what happened? You had a big fancy dinner or something, um, got named as the award winner. How did it all go?
2: Yeah, so we had a, a nice big dinner on the Saturday and it was huge. There was like nearly 2,000 people there. So the wow. venue was packed and there was people everywhere, nice, you know, fancy room. Everyone's looking absolutely deadly and yeah, we had no idea who was going to win or what the go was. We are just told, sit there, smile, look pretty, and wait <laughs> until your name does or doesn't get cold and then go for a stroll. So I was like freaking out waiting, but yeah.
0: Oh, well, hey, your name was called out. You did win the award. I mean, you've won a few awards in the past. You've won awards, you know, from the CSIRO, Future Leaders Awards. It must be feeling a bit normal now.
2: I would like to say yes, but it doesn't. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's every every single time I, you know, may get accepted into a scholarship or an internship program or anything like that, it's very much like a, oh, are you sure it's me? Is that the right person? Have you made a typo? Like, <laughs> So, yeah, well, <laughs> still can't believe it.
0: It's definitely you, Courtney. I can confirm you are the winner of this award. I want you to take us a bit through your research because it's so interesting and I think people are going to find this fascinating. You're looking into sharks. That's your research area. Firstly, why do you love sharks so much?
2: Well, I have always loved the ocean in general. So, you know, growing up as a swimmer, going diving, getting my certifications, all that type of stuff. But I've just found sharks like super fascinating, I guess mainly because people are generally so scared of them, made me think, oh, maybe they're not scary. Maybe they're kind of cool. And they are. Well, that's my opinion anyway. So, yeah, I just think they're they're super, super important for the ecosystems that they live in. Um, in terms of, you know, population control and all that type of stuff, but just in terms of, like, awareness as well because people don't necessarily know that much about them. They just think about, oh, that man-eater shark that's going to get us as soon as you dip your toes in the water and not all sharks are like that.
0: And, I mean, that's what your research is looking at, the relationship humans have with sharks. And the interesting part of it as well is that you're bringing First Nations culture and history into this science literature, what do we know about how Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have viewed and lived with the sharks in the past?
2: So that is my goal, to be able to do all of those things. So as I'm still in my undergrad, I haven't actually knuckled down into that research yet. So I actually don't know (laughs) what the answer to that question is, but that is the overarching question, right? Uh, But, yeah, many people that I've spoken to, very many First Nations people, afraid of sharks or kind of are a bit apprehensive and I'm like hmm why is that some people might have a more positive relationship with sharks others negative I just don't know which is why I want to research it
0: I mean you're obviously a role model for so many young people whether you can believe it or not (laughs) (laughs) Courtney how important is it for you to encourage other young First Nations young people to think about studying after high school beyond high school at uni or TAFE or wherever
2: It's super, super important to me because growing up, I was never good at school. I didn't do well in high school. I couldn't get into uni straight out of high school. So the fact that I'm, you know, sitting here having a yarn to you, nearly finishing my bachelor degree is something that I never thought would have happened or that I could do. So the fact that I can do it and I am doing it just shows that it doesn't matter where you come from or, you know, how good you're doing or how bad you're doing, if you're passionate enough about something and you give it 100%, you can get where you want to be. So hopefully I can, you know, aspire those young mob to, to keep trying and not give up.
0: Courtney Burns, Australia's Nadoc Youth of the Year. Thank you so much for coming on Hack.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.
2: Hack
1: on Triple Jack.